Not that link, but stay tuned for more on Missing Link. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and new discoveries. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're talking about the film Missing Link from Laika, the studio that brought us such things as Kubo and the Two Strings and the Box Trolls and Coraline. And Paranorman. And Paranorman. I was really interested to see what order you'd name them in. Like, what, what do you care about most going down in descending order? I usually start with the one that traumatized my son and then work backwards from there. So Kubo. Got it. Kubo. Yes. Great movie. Traumatized young children. I, I, I did not say this was not a selling point to say, hey, Jack, do you want to go see Missing Link from the makers of Kubo? Because... <laughs> He still says you never should have taken me to see that Kubo movie. <laughs> wow. That was a while ago in like Jack time too. That's like a third of his life ago. Right. And he still is like, no, he hears Kubo when he gets a little bit nervous. <laughs> like, I think he doesn't enjoy going to the movies because, because of, Kubo? of Kubo. Oh no. There's a, there's a pre Kubo movie going experiences and a, post kubo movie going experiences so well i enjoy going to the movies because of kubo if anyone like us listening to this <laughs> i i enjoyed kubo um and i think he enjoyed parts of it um those darn witches <laughs> but but let's talk about missing link since that's what we're here to do yeah um tell us a little bit about well we know the company but who's responsible for Missing Link? So Missing Link is written and directed by Chris Butler, uh, who's previously been co-director for Paranorman and then uh, writer for Paranorman and Kubo before this. Uh, so he has experience with Leica, as Leicas usually want to do. They have uh, a studio system looking style to their company, and that's envious. <laughs> I'm, I'm envious of it. Consistent work in animation. <gasps> I know it's it's hard work when, but you can get it. Then you're there. Yeah, and it's of so, course another stop motion animated movie that pushes the boundaries forward of stop motion animation as we know it. Blah 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 blah. All the stuff we'd normally say and like laud on like a. It's all great <laughs> and wonderful. It's all new and exciting, and they do great things. And it's really cool. And we're still going to talk about some of those really cool movie magic things. But we could skip like the Ted Mins for praise and for driving the industry forward. Yes, because they do. They they push things forward, and it's a nice. It's nice that they're using their imaginations, and it it feels like they're trying things out. And I always enjoy those movies where it feels like the studio or the writers or the directors trying something out because there's excitement of this type rope walking okay i know what i'm doing here but i'm gonna try something different this way and you feel like is it gonna work or is it not gonna work and you just enjoy that so do you want to say a little bit of a a word about just 
the story without going too spoilery about what Missing Link is. Yes. So we have a little bit of a overview there and, and know what we're talking about. Yeah. So still in our non-spoiler zone. Um, this is probably as much story as you get from any of the trailers, possibly less than some of the trailers feature scenes from like the end of the movie. Right? <laughs> I was surprised by that. Um, so our characters, our main characters are, of course, uh, Mr. Link, who is the Bigfoot slash Sasquatch featured in many of the posters that you'll see. Um, or is he? Well, he gives himself another name later, but we'll save that because I feel like that's a that's like a joke spoiler. Right. Um, <laughs> Thanks, trailers. And then there's uh, Sir Lionel Frost, who is um, like this cryptozoologist, like mythical beast hunter um, in the vein of like any Victorian adventure novel, just trying to make a name for himself scientifically and um, I don't know what the word is, not politically, but like man politically. <laughs> He's part of, he wants to be part of this adventure club of four adventurers and manly men um, who are clearly jerks and they won't let him in because he hasn't he keeps pursuing these crazy ideas and want to do these fun things and helping people and doing that great stuff. And he sees himself as one of those good old boys, but he's not, and he hasn't realized that yet. But you have Sir Lana Frost, who's simultaneously being a good person, but also trying to not be a good person, <laughs> if that makes sense. And then um, Adelina, who is an old flame of Sir Lana Frost, um, and also recently widowed from her actual um, husband at the time uh, who has many artifacts that Frost is trying to you know he may have helped get before maps things like that and those are our main characters and really it just comes down to Solano Frost getting what he wants right away he finds a Sasquatch as you might guess from the trailer and name of this film uh, he finds the missing link <laughs> But it doesn't go as he plans because Mr. Link is voiced by Zach Galifianakis and is uh, not just the beast that he would expect Sasquatch to be. And Sasquatch needs his help. So Sir Lana Frost sets off on a journey to help this Sasquatch. You know, something that can help them both. Hmm. I don't know if that was too vague. Less vague. Still not a spoiler, in my opinion. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Link just wants to find more of his kind and have friends. Specifically, he's heard that there's other mythical beasts like him, the Yetis, over in a different continent. Serrano Frost wants all the evidence he can of a mythical beast without, you know, killing this guy that talks. So, Mr. Link agrees to help Serrano Frost if Serrano Frost will help him find his distant, 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 distant relatives. Hilarity ensues. Yes, and adventure, and beautiful uh, environments, and landscapes, and jaw-dropping locales ensue. It is always super pretty. Yes. I guess just blown away. I, I think the best way I can describe this film's look when it's in Oregon, because of course part of the scenes are set in Oregon and Laika is in Portland. Um, I think this is the most Oregon film ever put on screen, even 
topping those Oregon tourism videos that are done in like the anime style with the giant rabbit bus. Have you seen those? I have not. Maybe it's a West Coast thing. You can find them on YouTube. They're like <laughs> official Oregon tourism videos, but they're done as an anime and they're saying that it's only slightly exaggerated. <laughs> it's super cute. Very Oregon. This is probably more Oregon. <laughs> it's got vintage clothing. It's got mythological beasts. It's got redwood forests. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm agreeing with myself. You're definitely not wrong, Mackenzie. No, I'm not. Oh, um, thanks, Chris. Doing a Mackenzie impression. Yeah, you're welcome. That's, that's <laughs> as close as I get to my Mackenzie impression. I like that it sound like Mickey Mouse in your head. Right. That's <laughs> most people do. Oh, thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, anywho, um, <laughs> fantastic environments. And I, I think what really sticks out and what I'm really into recently, because we've also talked about Hilda recently and that shows limited color palette. Um, doing some reading on the making of missing link they talk about how they try to keep the environments for the different scenes limited to like three or four colors as well and so a lot of the environments are they're beautiful but they also stay in the background because they're not too detailed and then something like stop motion done with modern cameras that have a lot of uh pixels in them i think that's a technical word um <laughs> You can yes. get lost in the background sometimes. And I really like they've uh, tried to make the backgrounds backgrounds, but still beautiful. I think that's one thing that I didn't notice is the film visually is very focused. Mm -hmm. um, there are, as you said, there are a lot of times where you're watching something, especially something that's more um, action based and you get lost in the action you lose the characters you lose what you're supposed to be paying attention to because everything has equal weight and here i was never losing the characters and i was never losing them during an action sequence and i was always able to focus on where the characters were yeah. and when and, and also things such as um, the vehicles, because they do a lot of exploring and things. There are some places where you could always tell what was physically happening to the environment and the vehicle and what they were riding on. And you never lost for, wait, how is this working? Yes, realism is, I know it's a strong, hot take still. Realism is overrated. If you're going to lose what's happening, it's overrated. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I think there are many movies that keep that focus still, but there's a... In a movie that's maybe not as uh, painstakingly made as a Leica film, um, you're more on the losing the action, not seeing what's happening. Like many of the general animated movies that come out these days that perhaps we don't talk about on this podcast... Um, right. Have redeeming merits and good things about them on their own that we like, but we just don't always talk about here. 
Um, but you can lose some of the stuff because the background's there. The fantastic environments are so big and so detailed, so wonderful, and animator worked on each individual background character of the 300 you might see in a crowd shot. And that's hard to see your main characters. And this isn't just animated movies. I think that action movies and uh, superhero movies to a certain degree also want to have like Lord of the Rings style big battle scenes. And it can be hard to keep the focus with how much detail you can see these days. Well, here's the other thing. So much about animation is about being able to have a clean canvas to be able to create whatever you want. So because nothing exists, then you get to decide what you allow to exist. And it's it you you because you can have that kind of control over it doesn't exist unless we put it in allows you to have extra control mm-hmm. and i think what of the um uh, it doesn't go through um it, this isn't a spoiler but at one moment they're riding on an elephant the three main characters are on an elephant and that's the most lush environment that we see in terms of background and mountain and everything. But still the camera placement and how we follow them and how it's shot, the background is background and there's not extra detail in that. Even though it's this lush jungle, it doesn't feel oppressive and overpowering. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like they don't, they love the characters more than they love the the environment and the they're not showing off i mean know? the elephant shot is their wow shot of this movie so they are showing off to a certain degree but they're not they're choosing specifically how to show off that's right that's right <laughs> it's showing off but not out of the realm of the the film itself yeah and by wow shot, I mean they have like the making of the elephant in the the credits of this movie. Or was that a different video I watched? No, that was the credits. That was in the credits. Each like a film has a wow shot, and I think yeah. for Kubo it was like the giant six foot tall skeleton puppet they made. Right. And this one was how they did the elephant tracking shot, which is really cool to see. It's not really like an end credit stinger, so like it's just in the credits. Stay for it. Yeah, Jack didn't believe me. Um, as I was trying to explain after the film ended that it was um, puppets. Mm-hmm. Like, did you know that they made this with puppets? You know, puppets around this big and trying to let him know. And he looked at me a little strangely. And then thankfully, a moment later, they showed that. I'm like, look, <laughs> look, you see? Puppets. Puppets. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I found an interview uh, with from Vulture. Um, with Brian McLean, like his director of rapid prototyping. Um, and I'm, so I'm stealing this verbatim from the Vulture interview, so I'm giving Vulture credit. They talked to Brian, not us. Vulture. 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 Rawr. Um, Brian had to say, as kids come out of the theater nowadays, I think a lot of time they're just telling the parents, oh, that's cool, but that was just done on the computer. I think there's something about stop motion that's so tactile. Kids come out of a film still having no idea how we did it, 
as soon as I hear that it's actually a little nine inch puppet that humans brought to life frame by frame, it's this holy crap movie magic moment. And it sounds like you got that firsthand with Jack. Yes, because he was really confused because I was trying to explain, you know, you move the puppet, you take a picture, you move the puppet, you take a picture, you, you know, trying to explain this to him. And I think a year ago, like just the whole concept of what animation is doesn't make sense in his head as of yet. You know, right now, characters are live. It's almost like he lives in a, in a who framed Roger Rabbit mentality mm. where yes, they, they punch in, they punch out. It's, it's their, their actors, they do their thing and then they leave. And, and he doesn't think of somebody making it. I think, he understands writers. He understands people who come up with the story. Um, but I think actors and how actors become the voices of these other characters, he doesn't quite get. Mm. I've, I've tried to show him. I've tried to show him like, oh, here's Elsa. And then we listen to a song from Wicked and like, see, it's the same. And it doesn't click in his mm. head. So... He just doesn't understand. Hmm. He's getting there. Yes. It, it's, it's a work in progress. Okay. I don't, I don't think he has to understand um, because at this point, I just want him to understand story. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's more important for me as a parent <laughs> that my son understands um, the strength of character and the strength of story. Because if he didn't, then I'd feel like a failure. Is the next generation going to be like, have a word for like kids of writers? Like PK is pastor kids. Is that a thing? It was a thing for me in my world growing up. Oh. PKs? No, okay. PWs? That's prisoners of war. Um, that's also parents of writers. Um, WKs? I don't know. I'll keep workshopping it. I'll workshop it. Yeah. Yeah. Work on it. Cause it doesn't quite work for me. <laughs> um, so how did Jack react to finding out that they were puppets? Did it kind of click for him a little bit, at least for this movie? I think slightly. I think he, it was a bit overwhelming still. I don't think that he quite understood, but I think if we made one, and we went through that process because one of the things he's interested in is um, this uh, Lego movie maker kit. Mm. And so, he, but that's mostly here's a Lego on a stick and you just turn the camera on and mm. it's not really it's, stop motion. You just, it's not really stop motion. Okay. We would, we would make it stop motion, but uh, we do it right. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Anyway. Interesting. So should we talk a little bit? Do we feel ready to move into a spoiler zone or is there more that we need to say non spoiler zone? Spoiler free zone. I feel like spoiler free zone. Last thing I need to say is it gets the thumbs up from Mackenzie. Okay. It gets a thumbs up from uh, me, and it gets a thumbs up from Jack. Okay, there's three thumbs. Which is um, On a two-thumb podcast. 
Well, Jack didn't want to go see it because he knew, and he told me this, that it just won't be as good as Lego Movie and Lego Movie 2. Interesting. I do want to talk about that later. That's really interesting. <laughs> but he said it was a fun movie, which is all I ever ask for. Just go to this, see this movie with me. Hopefully it'll be fun for you. And he said it was fun. So I'm glad. He said that was a good movie, Daddy. Okay. I'll take it. Well, they I got will it. take it. End of our spoiler-free zone. Three thumbs up out of two. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, we can keep shaming you about not having seen it. But now we're going to get into the spoiler zone. So if you are going to commit and see this movie, as you should, just before warned, pause the podcast now. Resume in two hours after the movie, assuming you get a near time for the show time to begin for the movie. Anyway, hypothetically, you're rushing to the movie theater right now. It pause. <laughs> now that you're back, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, now we're in the spoiler zone. Boom, 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 boom. So you, you alluded to the fact that there's this plot of Lionel Frost, the explorer, who is basically Hugh Jackman playing a Hugh Jackman character. <laughs> yes. Like Hugh Jackman would play this character in a live action film and it would change very little. <laughs> um, thankfully this is that that's not a, <laughs> that's not, not a, a dig. That's a <laughs> yes. Thank you. So we have Hugh Jackman playing a very Hugh Jackman esque role of a very, I don't want to say a, a dangerous tropey kind of character that that could end up being a trope of this explorer um highfalutin british person who's mm -hmm. just self-censored self-centered enjoys his tea very specifically and ends up on this adventure with an uncouth American, especially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is, is kind of what it ends up with. I mean, it's as much about class as it is about Sasquatch. <laughs> That's true. And it's an American made movie, which is really interesting. American made movies don't often do the, I guess we're getting better at talking about class. It's normally a, a very British bit. thing. Yeah, but maybe it's an Oregon thing. Oh, ooh, judging Oregon. They made a tourism video for you. <laughs> Which I'll, I'll go watch it after this. And Okay. Um, but I, I think what's interesting about this story is how it packs in a lot of things that are unexpected. Um, the trailers give too much away. I try to show Jack, I usually try to show him a trailer just to give him an idea on the tone of the movie. And the trailers lied in some ways. The, the trailers make it seem like a, a buddy film, mm -hmm. a happy-go-lucky buddy film. And, oh, look, it's silly. It's a little campy. If they would have given us something where it's like a... Uh, not Leica, but if, if it was, <laughs> if it was more of a, um, 
adventure movie. I, I was getting some, this, this sounds snobby. I was getting some notes of, uh, what was it? Like a little bit of Indiana Jones in there and things like that, where it's somebody looking for um, something of myth, mm-hmm. but you buy it because you're in this adventuring genre. Um, and I'm, I'm just trying to think they, they, they took it in a lot of different directions that I was not expecting from the trailer that, that we got. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt the same way. If you watched many trailers. I did. Cause I, I'm obsessed with like, and I'll watch every trailer, which at, usually for movies like. Avenger stuff, Detective Pikachu, which I both have and plan to see and have and plan to enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get to a point with trailers like I'm done. I don't want to watch anymore and I just won't watch anymore. But with like, I'm going to watch every trailer because it's all like this little like Pandora's box look into like how gorgeous this movie is going to be. And Mm -hmm. I remember being in Missing Link thinking like, ooh, are they going to have Yetis? When are they going to find the Yetis? I wonder if that's in this movie or if it's a disappointment bait and switch. Ooh. And then they get to the Yetis. It's like, oh, yeah, this was in a trailer like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the end of the movie. And that's a will they or won't they find the Yetis. But that was in a trailer. That they did, and they get captured. Like... They end up in a pit, and I'm like, oh, they're not going to die because we know from the trailer that they end up in a pit. Like they, They're like, Let, in order to give the audience the idea that it was silly and happy-go-lucky, they had to show us all the silly and happy-go-lucky parts of the film, which are plucked from all these little moments here and there. The movie overall doesn't have that feeling but if you pull from everywhere you could end up with a two minute long trailer if you pluck out all the the really silly big slapsticky things you could end up with two minutes yeah and, and i think so, that's what they went for yeah and it disappointed me because i started realizing um halfway through that the trailer showed me all the funny parts. And so I wasn't going to have any surprises about the comedy. Even, even uh, Mr. Link's new name wasn't a surprise. They didn't even allow that to be a surprise. So part of this, like a switch to a new distribution company, this switch to Annapurna, which puts out a lot of really good like Oscar bait films that I, I see and love. Um, I'm looking through their distribution list, and the only animated movie they've had before Missing Link is Sausage Party. So I think they just... Maybe Annapurna didn't know... Well, they partly Sausage Party did. Um, That sounds like such a bad verb in so many ways. Um, And so... so, Says so much with so little. I know. Um, But I, I don't think they quite know how to market an animated film, number one, and like a not traditional sense Oscar bait film. Mm. 
And I hope they learn some lessons. I hope so too, because I would have been more excited if they would have shown us more of the journey and the excitement, you know, the exciting parts. Because yeah. that's what it that's what it was. It's this it's this chase um between Lionel and Mr. Susan Link and Adelina being chased by a thug who was hired by the Explorers Club to stop them. Mm-hmm. Like if you start the trailer with um now we're now we're teaching trailers instead of like talking about film, but trailers are an art. But if if you would start the trailer with who Lionel is and then have him the Explorers Club and show that tension there. And then we get the race and feel like it is this journey together. And it becomes more about Lionel because it is that it's Lionel's story. Mm-hmm. We start with him and we end with him. And in a way, the missing link is not the missing link between, you know, that's the normally. Um, believed to be missing link between human and our evolutionary ancestors, but the missing link that um, Lionel has with his own humanity. Mm -hmm. Well put. Thank you. But I, I I like that that was where it went. Um, I'm sad that I wasn't surprised by the, the flourishes and bubbling up of comedy. But I, I feel like uh, Jack just recently watched, this is just to talk about trailers. Um, he recently watched um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Mm. And there's a difference of here's a trailer that teaches you what a movie feels like without telling you what happens in the movie versus this is here's what happens in the movie, but we're not going to show you what it truly feels like to be watching this movie. Yeah. And that's, uh, I remember being such a, like a super fan. I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing up like the perception of people before they see a movie. And that's perhaps why not many people saw the movie, um, to be blunt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is a shame. I want to emphasize that it's a shame. Um, but I remember seeing on my, my section of Twitter that is like film Twitter, as you say, with people saying that they didn't want to see this movie cause they didn't like the look of it, which just was really confusing to me. Um, it's like, there's lots of things. People were getting the kind of movie that actually was from the trailer and the trailer was instead showing you something more generic than what this film was. Yeah. It's. And I, I, I was getting this sense that the trailer was made by people who consider animation to be a genre. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Oh, it's an animated film. Here's how we market it. Here you go, kids. Here's silly stuff. Thankfully, they didn't show the, um, the poop crackers joke in the trailers because that was legitimately funny. <laughs> I forgot about he's, that. He's eating the, the yak dung. 
He's like, I, I know I shouldn't, but they're so delicious. <laughs> like, gosh, this is such a bad joke, and I love it. <laughs> Thank you for not ruining it. It may be in like a trailer randomly here or somewhere. Yeah. But on brand Chris humor. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, sorry, I'm trying to think of other jokes that weren't in the trailers. I don't remember the chicken lady being in the trailer, really. She was. She was? Okay. Just just slightly. Don't mention the chicken and then hello, it's nice to meet you. Hello. Like, what's with the chicken? Like that's it, that's in the trailer. Okay. Chicken lady was great. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so there is stuff at the end left out. And then yeah, you're right. This is definitely an adventure movie, and it's it's sold as like a buddy movie about Link. You're totally right. Yeah. And, and you go in, it's not about Link at all. Which is why I was really surprised for about the first 10 minutes of the movie. Because I was like, wait, it's about him? It's about his change. Well, why wasn't he in the trailer more than, you know, being thrown up against a wall or some, some things? It's an animated movie. We'll put the crazy, kooky, non-human looking character as a star. Like I, if if I'm the trailer marketing. Well, here's the thing. If the trailer had been solely the first couple minutes of the movie as it stood, with Lionel going out to search for the Loch Ness monster, if that was the whole first trailer, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Sign me up, I want to go see that movie. Yeah, the Loch Ness scene was amazing. I mean, if it just started with him doing the, the um, bagpipes, and you're like, what is, what is this movie? And then the, the neck rising out of the ocean. Jack was scared until I said, it's like, it's a plesiosaurus. And he's like, oh. And he pulled his hands off his ears and started watching again. Like, oh, it's just, it's a plesiosaurus. Fine. It's a dinosaur. That's great. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> so he, that's, that's what it is. It felt like his body said he didn't actually go. I'm here for it because um, he's not a 1980s stand-up comic saying things from the late 2010s. <laughs> I'm here for it. I want to go to there. Um, anyway, <laughs> I just think, yeah, that, that's that's our talk on marketing. And yeah. knowing the story that you're telling. And maybe they didn't have any control over it. I mean, I enjoy Simon and Garfunkel as much as the next person. But I am super glad that me and Julio down by the schoolyard did not end up in the film proper. I mean, I feel like Leica trailers typically have like some kind of like classic music, not classical music, but like classic <laughs> 1950s to 1980s music trailer thing. Yes. Because Kubo had, what was Kubo? Kubo was a great one. That was While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Right? Right. That was in the credits. That was Regina Spector. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they frame their... I mean, typically in the past, something about the story is framed around a song to help explain, like, the story of what's going on and how cool it is. 
Um, so I don't fault it if a song winds up in one of their films somewhere because they're tasteful about it. They choose one. It's not like a mix CD where you have to buy like, uh, I love this soundtrack. This is a bad example, but you don't have to like go buy the soundtrack to Pokemon, the first movie to get like the 20 songs that weren't in the movie, but were all catchy and great and inspired by the film. Mm. Yeah, that's a very 90s thing. Super. And it was an amazing CD I listened to way too many times. <laughs> so I want to go back to something that you were talking about or you touched on, which was the look of Mr. Link, our first, our secondary character. Or not, not our main characters, the trailers told us, but our secondary character, our main motivation for our lead character to have a change, yes. um, to evolve. Um, huh. what, well, he says that in the movie, he says, I've evolved, I've evolved, um, which is true, but, uh, what, what, do you have anything more to say about the look of Link, the I, look of Susan? I personally like the look of Link Susan. Um, and there's so many fun things to say. So one of my gauges for like the technical prowess of an animation company is fur. Because everybody who does fur an animated movie has something to say about fur and how to do it. And yes. obviously in Missing Link, it's not texturized like fuzzy fur. It's not like Monsters Inc. hair on a main character. Right. It's stylized. It looks kind of like scales. Cool. Um, I don't know if that's what rubbed people the wrong way or not. Um, but the my cool fun fact about this reading about the design is... They, of course, 3D print this like everything they do. Um, and instead of having like real fur, which has the, as they call it, the boiling effect, because hair doesn't stay still for 24 frames per second. So you have like this constantly moving, like old, like stop motion oh, yes. Christmas special look to things where like the fur is constantly moving. Yes. So right. to avoid that, they've 3D printed like these fake scale fur for Mr. Link. And what they did is they said they painted some kind of UV reactive paint on it. So they'd shoot the shot, then turn off the lights, turn on the UV lights so they could take a shot of just the fur. And then essentially that's what they computer animated over him. So they'd shoot the shot and then they'd animate and distort the UV just fur shining part does that make sense am i describing this well it does make sense yeah so that's how you I'm have following. like the shot of him in the wind and then like the wind blows and the fur kind of wiggles like that is computer distorted and that's okay they do lots of cool computer tricks with like movies um so that to me is really cool but i saw people talking about how they didn't like the look of the main character i'm using air quotes because of course mr link as we know now is not the main character um I don't know if it's like the Oregon vintage clothing look or I, I, I don't know what people didn't like about this. I'm not sure because it, it struck me when you see his face, especially when you first meet him, there was, I, I got uh, the tone from another studio, um, Ardman. Mm -hmm. Immediately it feels like an Ardman character when you first see um, Susan Link. And, and it's a very, if you imagine it with a British accent, you end up 
it sounds very much like something an Ardman character would say, get something caught in their throat. So it sounds like they're growling, but then they're choking, like, <laughs> excuse me. Oh, it's still there. Mm. Oh, oh, Mr. Link. <laughs> exactly. Oh, bye. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be a very Ardman-esque. And maybe, I don't know if it's a homage in some ways to that, but that's that's what it struck me as yeah so i agree i had i just had no problem with it it was warm and inviting yeah um and on opposite note what i've been thinking about as we've been planning this podcast and something i want to talk about to stay topical in a semi-animated movie i think this reception to the initial link of miss the initial look of mr link on the internet, um, hilariously brings us to Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> if you follow uh, Sonic the Hedgehog at all, of course, by the time we're recording this, um, a trailer had recently come out, and people have been saying coming up to the trailer that they were afraid of Sonic and that it didn't look human um, or too human. <laughs> the and teeth. It was the teeth. The teeth and the eyes and the fur and the not fur the legs and the legs um so anyway this trailer comes out the internet reacts uh and hates the look of sonic in the sonic movie um and the filmmakers have come out and said we're not changing the release date of the film but good news we've heard your feedback we're going to completely redesign this character and so somehow they're going to redo all the animation for a movie that's probably mostly finished um and this is a weird line of like does it set a precedent for future things that animated mm. movies should go back and redo things obviously like a even if they'd wanted to wouldn't have been able to do this with a stop motion film as opposed to a computer animated film but it's a similar genre of people reacting negatively to the look of a character and that's why i think it's interesting and related and for me there's one team that didn't like the look of Mr. Link in film Twitter world. And there's another group that often overlaps. that didn't like the look of Sonic in film Twitter world, but are now also saying how bad it is that the movie's going back and uh, redesigning the main character. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> and this is the last thing I'll say about Sonic. I feel <laughs> they showed a poster of just the outline of the character and people were saying no it's wrong just from that and then they showed the very first poster with the legs and they're like no you guys are going you're this is wrong and then people are like no just wait for the whole thing i feel like if they wanted to listen to fans they could have listened to fans a long time ago also also here's the thing I keep saying that a lot to this episode, but here's the thing. A lot of people made a lot of decisions on what that character was going to look like. So they thought they had it figured out. And part of me is like, well, if you weren't that sure in your decision making process that you're like, yeah, we should go back. That means you don't have the strength of conviction in what you did make to say, no, it's fine. You're just missing the point. Yeah. 
I think that certain decisions were made and it probably wasn't made with as much care as say the, the only reason I'm excited about that film is Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like that's, he was amazing in that trailer. I don't care. I don't know if he's amazing in the movie, but yeah. in that trailer, it's great. That was very Jim Carrey. My worry is based on the reactions to both the look of Link and the look of Sonic and what the Sonic movie can apparently afford and have time to do before the movie comes out. Does this set a precedent for animation for studios to like test the look of something more hmm. before it comes out? And if it does, part B, should they be doing that? Because I feel like some stylized situations that rub people the wrong way don't translate well until you see the movie because a look is tied to the story and just Correct. showing people a look doesn't communicate the story that's true but also i think that the way they were selling it was all based on mr link yeah. if they left uh and i know the question of will they find this sasquatch is answered within the first 15 minutes of the movie. And that's fun. That's a nice, like, twist Switch. on the idea. Yeah. Right. But why not leave the marketing, like, a little bit vague about it? Um, I'm not saying that you hide Susan, but what would happen if your main character of your film was the main character in your marketing? Radical idea brought to you by writers get animated. I just, I just think if they had this, this sounds a little bit um, interesting or strange to say, but why, why aren't you selling Hugh Jackman to folks? You know, why aren't you selling that character? Do kids know Zach Galifianakis better than know Hugh Jackman? I really don't know. I don't know either. These are the questions we'll never know the answers to unless we ask Jack. True. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go silly with it, you could say things like from the guy who, who starred as Wolverine now comes and then you just show him like stirring his tea. Yes. Ah, oh, man, there's, there's just a lot of ways where you can bend it and tell the truth about your film without showing things. And I, I think they, they, because they divorced um, Mr. Link from his purpose in the film, I think because you're seeing him as a separate entity as opposed to being up against, um, I keep wanting to call him Nigel, Lionel Frost. <laughs> Nigel's our audio engineer. I know who Nigel is. <laughs> so um, I, I just feel like if, if the marketing had them next to each other, as opposed to Mr. Link's big old face as the poster, if it was, you know, Mr. Link and here's Lionel next to each other, suddenly it becomes you see a juxtaposition and it's not, you're not just seeing Mr. Link. 
Yeah. Yes, and I think I think that's part of the reaction. All if you don't see the character in context, you don't understand what his purpose is. Story-wise, character-wise, and also look-wise. He's the MacGuffin and the intrusion and that he needs a MacGuffin. Right? That's so strange. But so I think that was the part that was most fulfilling. Mm-hmm was that oh hello you found me here's the real mission <laughs> yeah here's we need to go find my people it's like a trading game from video game like okay you think you got the thing you need but actually you need this thing to get the next thing to do the thing <laughs> <sighs> so i do we've talked a lot about the marketing the positioning of this movie um anything to say on uh, the story inside the movie instead of just the meta story. <laughs> right. The meta story about the movie. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> again, my favorite part about, not my favorite thing, but my favorite part was the fact that the story shifted once we met Mr. Link, once we met Susan. Um, and his journey became what forces Lionel to change. I did enjoy the surprise of why, of what happened when we ended up in the Himalayas, how we arrive and we meet the, that they, it's a interesting society and there's a, a queen Yeti and they're somewhat civilized. Mm-hmm. And there's this this beautiful utopia, and they don't want him there because he's a redneck. <laughs> yes, which is great. I love. Uh, I'm a. Su- it was such a sitcom setup, but I, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. <laughs> like you have one character who can't get one thing they want, and then you have a side character who then has the exact same situation happen. Because, of course, Sir Lionel can't get into the club he wants to belong to because he's not like them. And he's crazy. And then Susan finds his relatives and they don't want him because he's a redneck. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> and then the only person that suffers is Adelina. I feel. As in terms of having something. Mm. Because I, she is in some ways, she's a device for both of those people. Mm-hmm. She's something that pushes, um, she pushes, pushes Lionel when they're on the ship and they see Susan is sad and worried about what's going to happen. And she says, go talk to him. And you're, you only care about yourself. And she's strong-willed. And she says, go and, go and take care of this. You know, you're only, you're only doing this for you. And I love that she's the kind of character that would call out Lionel. But I don't know why else she's there. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. As we said earlier, I really enjoyed this movie. I recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. I do think there are some plot motivation issues 
the things that we like and are talking about this movie, they kind of subvert your expectations of like, what if the hero gets what they want in the first 15 minutes? What then? Things like that. Right. Um, but the things that don't work are the moments in the movie where you kind of ask yourself a question, but what if they just do this? And there's not really a good answer put forth. And I think that's partly to Adelina's um, not benefit, the opposite of that. Detriment of like, what does Adelina add to this besides having the map for a while and being a foil to them? Right. Like, why does she stick with them? Um, similarly, later on, of course, they the Yetis welcome them into their home and then say, you can never leave because you've seen us, so we're going to put you in this pit to die. <laughs> like, well, why don't you just kill them or not turn them in? And uh, there's, there's, there's weirdness. I always have plot weirdness, but this one, this movie has a couple questionable moments. So did you feel like that, you know, them not killing them and just put him in the pit was a plot hole? I would dare say hole to describe that whole moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought it was funny because in some, there are two things that I thought about it. One is we're so civilized, we're not going to kill you. That's beneath us. But we're still going to kill you. But I think that w that needs to be more explicit. Yeah, it could have been and, punched up. Yeah. And there's this one more to get to the, there are certain times where we need to understand the ridiculousness of it. Here's a society that has become so evolved, so to speak, that they we don't kill. We don't do that. But you need to take it the next step of ridiculousness to, we're going to put you in this pit. What? Yes. And, and what will happen to us? Oh, you'll die. Like, <laughs> like that. That's we get the realization of they're doing what they're saying. You, you understand that just a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I think moments like that could be punched up. And another moment of a little bit of weakness, but this speaks to Adelina, where they said um, it's the end. They figure out that Susan and Lionel are going to become partners together. And they say, well, what are you going to do? She's like, I'm going to go explore. Not for my husband, not for you, but for myself now. It's like, okay, I, I suppose. That sounds, I, like, I like that ending, but I don't know how she got to that. That's the, that's the thing. <laughs> like, like, that's strong. That's a strong choice that I don't know how you made it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know you were adventuring for Lionel. <laughs> right. I didn't know you were adventuring at all. You seemed like you were at home. I don't know. So, like, if if they had gone to her house and found that she was gone and had to find her and track her mm -hmm. to get the map, I think that would be something else. Or they find out that she's on her way to complete what her husband has done, mm -hmm. and their paths crossed that way as opposed to accidentally trying to steal. I mean, the safe scene was funny. Oh but, yeah, totally. But I, I, especially the, the sound it was making the, oh, <laughs> so funny, 
but but I think there's another story way slash character way to involve her and make her active before the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And we need to see her trying and living at something. Otherwise, it's just, let's go to her house where she is. Yeah, I like the, the arc that she needs to adventure for herself in the end. And at the beginning, she's just staying in her house, not adventuring at all. But that we need something in the middle for that arc of like adventuring for someone else. Right. Yeah, like that shows the opportunity to make a decision to change her life. And also a foil. Uh, there's layers. There's layers, Chris. Well, because there was also a line that she said that pointed to one of my issues with her was, um, it was a funny line, but she's like, why am I always dangling? Yes. Like, like, yeah. Why is she always dangling? Why is she, why do you keep putting her in these situations? Why isn't Susan the one dangling off the end of the, you know, ship, and now she has to figure out a way to pull him back in. Uh, I would love to have more Susan dangling, because I think there's a wonderful comedic thing to that. Especially the fact that they keep being unable to find and refind the missing link. Like, <laughs> oh, where did he go? He was just here. Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm down here. You know, I don't know. It's also a good emotional foil, because, of course, at the beginning, Sir Lionel doesn't help his assistant at all with the Loch Ness monster and doesn't care for safety really hardly at all until like he's being carried away by this monster. And I would love to see that affection grow throughout the movie as he like is forced to save Susan Link preemptively instead of just the last minute (laughs) tries to help him actively. Right. Yeah. Especially since in some ways I, there's there's a change that happens because Susan is first and foremost the proof that Lionel needs to prove that he's not crazy. Mm-hmm. So I need to, it goes from, I need to save you because you're my proof to I need to save you because I care for you. Yes. And I don't think that explicitly ever really gets to happen. And I also would have liked a more explicit, like selfishness from Sir Lionel of like wanting to bring Susan in at the beginning and right. not wanting to do Susan's thing. Right. Or lying, getting to London and being found out or something, you know? So these are all of our plot criticisms, but we still had a great time and it's a nice original animated film. (laughs) And as Jack said, that was a good movie. Yeah. It's not as good as Lego movie or Lego movie two, but as Jack says, that's not me saying it, but (laughs) that's Jack. This is the Jack review portion of Raiders get animated. Yeah. This is why he, he didn't want to go see it. It's like, it's just not going to be as good. (laughs) How can you know that Jack? Uh, yeah, it's it's confusing time for him. Uh, but I, I hope that more people get to go see the movie. I think it's from the time seeing it, the theater was not very full. But the people who were there enjoyed it. I just want people to go see it. 
I would bet this will still get an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Feature. Despite its, like, really poor performance at the box office, which I think is no fault of the movie itself. (laughs) (laughs) Again, good movie, did poorly at the box office. Um, And every Like a Movie has had an Oscar nomination so far, so I'm going to assume this will follow suit. Um, And hopefully people will be driven to revisit this film a little bit at that time. Cool. Do you have anything else you would like to say? Ah, I just want to know what your favorite thing is. Well, my favorite thing was one of the jokes that was not spoiled by the by the trailer. Um, it was they're they're in the cave at the at the beginning. They found um, Mr. Link. They found Susan before Susan gets his name. Um, and Sir Lionel's like, how did you know about me? I said, oh, I've, I've read about you. And he shows all the headlines and they're just these terrible headlines about Lionel, like uh, rich person squanders their inheritance and then something else terrible about him and then runs off with this Russian ballerina. It's like, oh, there's so many great stories there. So I just love that the stories have all been negative and you expect like these mythic exploits and no, it's just crazy, crazy man does thing. You know? Yep. Okay. I've, I've read about you. I, I second really close second though. is just the idea that these two friends are out searching for mythological beasts in some ways. The movie starting there would be an interesting movie too. I know. Like, I'm like ready for the the Disney afternoon. For some reason, Disney owns this in my head. Um, <laughs> like the Disney afternoon, like traditionally animated, like '90s show about like Sir Lionel and Susan like having adventures and just going after all the mythological beasts. Yeah, yeah. let's look for mermaids. Let's find Atlantis. The Aladdin, the animated series of Missing Link. <laughs> yes. I, I'm here for it. Yep. I'm here for that. There's hey. like 80s. <laughs> anyway, what was your favorite thing? My favorite thing wasn't a trailer, but it was still my favorite thing because it's such good delivery. It's Emma Thompson as the Yeti elder screaming the name of their city in Yeti and then saying it means go away. We hate you. <laughs> that's that's a perfect moment in my book. I can oh, see yeah. that lots of times and still be happy. <laughs> that that was a perfect moment i enjoy that so much shall so. we talk homework time yes for your homework go watch tuka and birdie the new show from lisa hannawalt who's the designer of bojack horseman it, new on netflix Go watch that specifically if you don't end up binging the whole season, which I don't know how you can't um, like I, I do know how you can't. But if you don't end up binging the whole thing, at least watch the first episode, The Sugar Bowl. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Find us on the web. Let us know what you think about what your favorite like a movie is on Twitter 
at WG Animated, and you can find our show notes at writersgetanimated.podbean.com. I want to have like a song and dance number for some reason. Like, good night, Mr. Link. Good night, Mr. Link. It's nothing to do with yeah. this movie. Maybe if it would have had five songs. No, I'm not going to force it on them. Okay. Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>